Welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard. And Sam, how are you? Well, Leon, under the circumstances, I'm fine, I guess. I'm just learning to uh, cope with the new landscape of uh, Victoria, I guess. Lockdown, yeah, curfews. Yeah, we're all down on uh, stage four. So no getting eight. out and gallivanting, Sam. No, five past eight. Guys, it's almost... I'm watching for the dive bombers and... It's unprecedented in this country, but such is life in the uh, in the new world. Some of my old water polo mates uh, from interstate have been in touch with me and they're asking about us, and I've said it's a bit like World War Three. It's um, We're in lockdown, but I'll tell you what, you'd, we're better off than people that don't follow football or racing. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Leon, from that perspective, but... Uh, isn't it amazing how resilient the human body is? I mean to say, we, you learn to cope and you learn to adjust and no matter how bad things are, you know, I was just lying here yesterday thinking, oh, gee, poor me. Not poor me, but I think just how difficult it is with the new laws. And then all of a sudden I switch over the channel, I see that explosion in, in Beirut and I think to myself, well, I don't think we're all that bad after all. You wouldn't want to be residing in close proximity to that uh, sort of a, a little quiver, would you? Well, I went to Beirut. We went there with the Australian water polo team many, many years ago. In fact, it was 1965, and I've never been in a nicer city. It's, it was a beautiful place before their their problems, uh, their political woes, but uh, it was going to be set up as the Middle East, uh, the new French Paris. Riviera. It was. Uh, yes, it was the playground of the rich and famous in those days. Yeah, it was going to be the financial capital, and but the, the roads are you know cobblestone, and or they were, uh, they'd be rubble now, uh, rubble now. But uh, it was a beautiful place, right on the um, Mediterranean, and um, and we only see the worst news reports out of Beirut and Lebanon generally, don't we? But and of course they have the ongoing problem between Christians, Christians, and Muslims, and everybody else, and. It just, uh, it really does destroy the whole thing. I don't know. It's easy to talk about it, I guess, but they're complicated issues. Uh, yeah, yeah well. That, that was a real bad one. And uh, we our thoughts go out to all those people in Australia with relatives over there. Oh, yeah, certainly our prayers go out and our condolences. No, there's no doubt about that. But what a blast. It's almost, you know, they talk about nuclear and atomic. I've got no idea. But it just so happens it coincided with the Hiroshima bombing. Yeah, that they're yeah. showing on on screen now. It's very difficult to differentiate between the two of them in terms of velocity. But yeah, uh, and, uh, the devastation it's caused, it's amazing. Now, you, you've had a little issue uh, with your knee operation? I have. Uh, no, the operation went swimmingly. Uh, there's no doubt about no problems there. But like the, uh, the problem with all these operations, the aftermath, the infection. And unfortunately, I copped a... Uh, I copped a bad infection in my urine after they took the catheter out and uh, I've been struggling a tad, but I think we're winning now. I think the graph's trending in the right direction and uh, with a dose of antibiotics, hopefully in the next two or three weeks, I'll be uh, back in full flight, Leon, back on all eight uh, cylinders. Well, look after yourself. Don't forget Bobby Skilton, our, our former guest on this program a week or two ago. He, um, he started uh, with a... I think a relatively, well, not simple operation. None of them are, but... Uh, the well, it was. It, 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 was, it, was the, it was a standard operation on his shoulder. Or hip, yeah. I should say. Well, he's and had then a all of a sudden, of it, yeah. 
got anyway, the uh, disease. Now, today, we've got Peter Moody on. Well, one of the great stories, one of the great stories. And uh, look, it'll go down as one of the most uh, fantastic chap chapters in equine uh, Australian history. There's no doubt about that. Talk about the highs and the lows of, uh, of, our, of our respective games. But there yeah, was no great, one great bigger. Or... Sorry? Ra racing, racing wasn't the same without him, was it? At, um, and it's just terrific to see him back. In a more modest way, uh, by the way, he doesn't intend getting as big as he was. No, that was never his intent. In fact, I, I was a bit surprised that he came back to racing. I know Peter very well as a personal friend. I think after uh, after what transpired, you know, with Cobalt and uh, and the uh, the gross injustice that was uh, that was uh, placed upon him, I think he was happy to pack his caravan and drift away. But not that he not that he wanted to drift away as, as being guilty. He was. He was exonerated from all, uh, from any any cheating or anything. But oh, he always yeah, is a country boy at heart, and I think he wanted to just own a bush pub somewhere and uh, just have a quiet hour with mates and drift off in the sunset without the, the glam and the fanfare and the bright lights and neon signs. But, of course, the lure of racing is uh, embedded fairly deeply into his rich veins. Now, if he did have, have a country pub, he'd put Mitchell and Prince in, in there for his big noting clients. Now, Mitchell, of course, our wonderful sponsor, and if we may digress for a moment, Leon, I just got the Halliday wine uh, uh, markers. Halliday, as you know, is the uh, barometer and the guru of all wines Australia, and uh, Mitchelton featured very prominently. In fact, uh, one of their... Uh, the single vines, I think, rated about 97, which is an enormous, uh, and the, all the other wines were mid to high 90s. So Mitchelton is, as we know, you know, we're uh, we're pretty gifted there, and we're a bit spoiled well, it's because the, our... It's not too far away from Heathcote. It's uh, Nagambi's in itself, a wonderful wine area with uh, Mitchelton, of course, very big player in that area, and of course the... Uh, the terrific brewery now right in the middle of town, but you've got Milch, uh, Mitchell and a couple of other very fine wineries and, and very old wineries in the area. And then just down the road is uh, Heathcote. And in fact, uh, they get a lot of grapes from Heathcote where they've got land. Um, so uh, all good on them. They're doing well. Well, Peter, yes. uh, Sam, um, we might take a little break now and be back with Peter, Peter Moody very, very shortly. Welcome back to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard. And uh, we've got a very special guest now, and it's terrific to have him back in racing. In fact, back in sport. Peter Moody, a winner of, well, over 2,500 races, $116 million in prize money. That's in the 2000s. And, of course, best known these, well, best known, of course, worldwide as the trainer of Black Caviar. Peter, welcome. Thanks for having me as a part of the show, gentlemen. Well, it's uh, just terrific to have you back in racing. And it's uh, what made you come back after, what, four or five years, four years? And um, uh, it seems as though you just missed it too much. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I sort of bit of a itch that I wanted to scratch for a little while and the fact that I was paying other blokes to do a job that I could do myself in training my own horses. So, uh, 
yeah, it was a bit of a no-brainer after the four years away. We, uh, it was uh, good to have a bit of a break, but uh, I was ready to get back to work. Before Sam gets into you about racing and asks you about your career, uh, you're still living up in the hills and you're still playing cricket. Uh, well, unfortunately, like most of us, I'm not doing much at all this year. Oh, but uh, yeah, I uh, enjoy my lifestyle up in South Belgrave and the bottom of the Dandenong Ranges. There, we've got a great little community and a good sporting community. And uh, our football club won all three, four grades last year, and we we're looking forward to that this year. But that went awry, and uh, I'd say uh, in our current climate, uh, the start of the veterans' cricket season, which is uh, which is my sort of showpiece event, uh, it, it's probably going to be on the back burner as well. Yeah, and your daughter is suffering as well from the uh, from Carlton? Yeah, yeah. Well, Brianne's at Carlton and Celine's at the Bulldogs and uh, it looks like, uh, well, that might be the first competition to kick off again uh, come January or February, whatever it may be. Uh, if the girls can get off the ground, they, they had their season was cut short this year and they've missed the whole VFL season. But So I'm sure... And seeing them climbing the walls at home, I'll be very much looking forward to getting back, hopefully, to the AFLW. Now, you and Sam Kekovich are old mates, yeah. so Sam... Well, you? Pete, I'm glad uh, I'm glad Leon took those few minutes up because I've just opened a couple of bottles from a mutual friend of ours at Mitchelton Winery, Jerry Ryan. Uh, Jerry's just had the uh, dubious honour of uh, rating 96 out of 100 with a couple of our favourites, the Mitchelton Springs single block Heathcote Shiraz, and also the Mitchelton Estate, the Heathgate Grown Shiraz 2017, which is just a fantastic drop. And if you had gone on for another minute or two, I would have just about quaffed the whole two bottles down. But anyhow, it's good to have you, mate. How are you? No, it's great to be here. And speaking of our great mate, Gerald, Gerald Jerry Ryan and uh, Mitchelton Wines, uh, very fortunate for Jerry last night. He was... Uh, the winning part owner of a very nice horse in Ireland called Nickajack Cave, Sam, which you which you, you mightn't quite been aware of. It's been a new addition to Jerry and Neil Werrett and a few mates, and uh, that particular horse uh, won the Ballyrone Stakes, a Group Three race at Leopardstown overnight, and uh, he's coming out to join my stable for the Melbourne Spring Carnival, and hopefully, uh, you know, looking forward to him maybe being a Caulfield Cup, but definitely a Melbourne Cup horse for us. Uh, this spring. So uh, he'll be a very happy man, Jerry, and he might share one of those lovely bottles with you this evening, if only he could. <laughs> Dare I, uh, a mere layman like me, uh, trying to uh, get one over the top of you, Peter, but uh, I was well aware of that, and uh, Jerry and I speak on a regular basis, and I was very <laughs> much aware of us heading to Packham towards your magnificent opulent stables. <laughs> so let's hope we have a, and wouldn't that be, let me tell you, wouldn't that be ironic if you let a Melbourne Cup winner in? Wouldn't the entire racing fraternity stand and applaud? <laughs> now, Peter, I want to get this into some form of uh, sequential order for the sporting paper because this is one of the great stories. You are singularly responsible for one of the most fascinating chapters in the history of Australian racing uh, history, for want of a better term. Uh, you had a remarkable career, came to an abrupt halt. After, uh, as Leon alluded to, he had black caviar from the, from the humble abode of Wyandra in northern Queensland to Ascot and meeting the Queen. And then you received a six-month suspension relating to a positive cobalt test on a horse called Ladari, which I could have beaten. <laughs> but some, for some inexplicable reason, uh, you copped that ban 
And all of a sudden, everything you worked for for 20 years, you and your lovely wife, went pear-shaped. Just take us back to those early days. Well, you could probably go back to the days when you started your, your trade with Tommy Smith from Wyandra. Yeah, well, racing was always a great passion of mine, uh, Sam, uh, as you're well aware. And as a young boy growing up in Western Queensland, uh, you know, we had uh, footy in winter, cricket in summer and, and racing year round. So it was a passion of mine. I left home when I was 15. I went and worked for the great Tommy Smith. Uh, then I did 10 years uh, with uh, Bill Mitchell, uh, who trained some very good horses during that time. It was a stylish century and from the planet, Liverstone alone, the likes uh, and that culminated in in what I thought would be the fastest horse I'd ever work with, a horse called General Nadeem back in the late 90s. Uh, at about that time, I struck out on my own. I think uh, it might have been uh, New Year 1999 or 98, somewhere around there. I kicked off him, my wife Sarah and I. We started our own business, Moody Racing. And... Uh, We've, uh, you know, had a lot of luck uh, in the ensuing of 15 or 16 years. We went down to Victoria in the early 2000s. Uh, we won our first group one with Amalfi, won the 2001 Victorian Derby. And, uh, That's I think right. We uh, went through, sort of slowly built the state up from being sort of predominantly Queensland-owned and bred horses to, uh, you know, self-praises worth five-eighths of stuff all, as we know. But I'd like to think we had one of the most successful lucrative stables in Australian racing there sort of uh, sort of 2008 9 through probably 13 14 uh, in a five or six year period we had a lot of success we were fortunate trained three Australian horses black caviar typhoon Tracy and this uh, and then I ended up with a big splinter in mass in about 2016 so Peter just on that uh you know it was uh it, I know it was gut-wrenching it was an emotional roller coaster I know it heavily impacted on you. Look, I remember reading once you're in uh, you're driving down Wellington Road and you had to pull over and you burst out into tears wondering what the hell's happened. How can such an innocent person be so so incorrectly uh, nailed to the cross? Well, listen, that, I was innocent in my eyes, obviously, in other people's eyes I wasn't. I thought I'd build a record and a career that uh, suggested that I... Uh, sort of didn't go about my business or, or sport untoward like and uh, yeah I, I, I struggled to come to that but I got caught up in a in a scandal uh, which involved the drug cobalt which I know very little about at the time and still do to this day and uh, one thing I do know it doesn't make uh, slow run fast but uh, uh, you know it, it was a bitter pill to swallow and I was dirty on the world and dirty on the industry for the way it, it uh dealt me and took away what I thought was my good name and, and my livelihood at the time and uh, took me a long time to get over that. I, I still feel unjust to, you know, I, I, I still believe authorities probably couldn't justify what they did to me, how they went about it, but, uh, you know, there's two sides to every story and I suppose if you speak to them, they might have another side to it. But uh, you um, reckon you were targeted, Peter, do you think? Because it did coincide with the retirement of Des Gleeson in 2008. And Des Gleeson had a wonderful rapport with trainers. He was a man's man. And, uh, you know, racing was very rich in his vein. And then all of a yeah. sudden, the new breed came in under Terry Bailey, which was that, uh, you know, pseudo-intellectual, you know, you're all crooks, we're all good, I'm going to clean the industry out, let's go to the top of the tree, Moody. Yeah, well, listen, uh, you know, uh 
that's the way I certainly saw it at the time. I felt I had a target on my back uh, for what reason. And the, the mentality of the fact of us versus them, I hate that in any format, um, you know, unless it's totally justified. And I didn't feel it was justified at the time here. But, you know, subsequent events might suggest that, that, that the, they, they were justified, but that's for other people to judge, not me. Uh, I, I certainly didn't feel it in my case. Uh, I built a one record uh, over a long time. Um, I felt I was a great ambassador for the industry. I didn't have any reason to be involved in any skullduggery. I was the biggest, most successful stable in the country for a great period of time. You know, why do I? Why did I need to look outside of the normal parameters to to have success? Uh, you know, it, it wasn't required, and uh, and I felt that the rate authorities had all my history and all my records in front of them that should have suggested to them that I certainly didn't need to cheat to be successful in this wonderful sport. But uh, obviously, the regime at that time, which I lost all respect for, and I'm talking about the integrity department of the time. Uh, you know, I struggled to to work through that period with them. Uh, in a way that I thought I should have and, and would have liked to have done. But uh, anyhow, Sam, we've got to build a bridge and move on. It mightn't be the Sydney Harbour Bridge. It might be a bamboo boat going over a creek in Papua New somewhere, but uh, I've got to cross it. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Now, Leon and I both have something in common, Peter. We're all involved in that volatile investment portfolio that we more commonly allude to as the punt. Now, Leon <laughs> won a stack of money on Black Caviar. You'll never reveal the true story or the true amount, but I'm sure you would like to know, Leon, the origins of Black Caviar. Oh, yes, and, uh, well, uh, until Winks came along, of course, it, w it was the ant's pants. It still is. Um, and uh, a wonderful, well, talking about Nagambi, it's a, it's a, a native of Nagambi. Yeah, she was born and raised up there at Nagambi and on a good mate of Jerry Ryan's farm, a bloke called Rick Jamison, uh, better known to probably all and sundry as Harry the Hirer. Uh, Rick Jamison got a beautiful breeding establishment up there on the, the banks of the river at Nagambi called Gilgai Farm, and that's where Black Caviar was uh, born and raised. And, uh, you know, full credit to the team up there. They did a wonderful job with her as a young horse, and I was fortunate enough that I trained a very close relation to her, a very good sprinter called Magnus. And like most things in life we had to mess with, you naturally draw back to it. And uh, when I went to the yearling sales, I think it was back at about 2008, uh, I saw this uh, lovely, big, strong filly closely related to a horse that I had very good success with. And, uh, ultimately, that ended up being Black Caviar. I was able to purchase her at that yearling sale. Uh, she was a big, heavy girl. She was uh, strong, powerful, and some people believe maybe too big and powerful, but uh, I was fortunate enough that I took the punt on her. She took my eye, and uh, and uh, we ended up with her back in our care. I syndicated her amongst some. Well, I bought her predominantly for a client called Neil Webb, who we spoke of a little earlier on the show there, and he's been a successful owner uh, for a lot of years. And uh, Neil syndicated her with five uh, family groups that he'd been very closely associated with with childhood. Uh, uh, you know, they gave me a free reign with this wonderful mare, and. Uh, you know, as they say, the rest is history. She always showed phenomenal ability and talent, even from very early days. But uh, um, early days, she was a bit bulletagatish, and and I, I, you know, never dreamt that she would have built the record that she did. But uh, she was able to uh, learn to look after herself, harness her natural ability and brute strength, and. Uh, 
you know, made her the undefeated world and sprinter seasons and arguably one of the greatest sprinters we've ever seen in, in uh, any form of racing uh, in, in uh, any era around the world. Interesting Sam, enough, Pete. Could I ask Peter a, a question? Uh, if, if we were talking to a footballer perhaps playing his 300th game, or we, we'd maybe ask, uh, and maybe he's been in four premierships, you'd often say, well, was there one outstanding sort of event that pleased you most of all? In fact, Caviar's 25 wins. Was there a, a special victory for you, Peter? Well, you probably look back on each one of them, Leon, with with certain memories and there were certain characteristics going into each run and, and the fact that she sort of sustained multiple injuries throughout her career, able to overcome them time again. Uh, you know, each and every one of them was special for a reason. For me personally, the opportunity to take her back to my native Queensland and run her up there, I think it was win number 13, was pretty special. But for all things going against her, her efforts to win at Royal Ascot and the other stage of the side of the world, phenomenal performance. Uh, you know, this filly had a tolerable sort of pain threshold that, you know, most athletes of any kind couldn't have gone through. But, uh, you know, she was at the end of a long season. She was racing track weather than she'd ever been on. She's carrying more weight than she'd ever run on. It was totally out of season for her. Um, she sustained numerous sort of soft tissue injuries leading into it, but for her to win that race at Royal Ascot, uh, albeit very skinnily at the end of the day, uh, was her bravest performance uh, out of all 25. Uh, sure. Sam? Well, where I'm sitting here, Pete, uh, you wouldn't believe what I've got on my wall at home. I got the TJ Smith Stakes on April 2013. Uh, which is its 25th victory in uh, Luke Nolan's silk, signed by you and him. A big, uh, oh, it's f six foot by two foot, uh, one of those big ones. It's fantastic. Great momentum. Great momento. Yeah. Certainly, certainly was a great day and a fitting way for her to go out. It wasn't quite planned that way. We didn't go there thinking or knowing that was going to be her last run. But, uh, you know, just at that, that was just on you know, just as the sun was setting that day at Randwick and when she came back into the enclosure, I swear blind looked up and smiled and said, I've had it's, it's, it's time to put the cue in the rack. And uh, it just looked like she'd given me everything that she had. And, uh, you know, for a mare that suffered numerous injuries throughout her career, she retired sound, happy and healthy, so much so that I think about three weeks after that win, after we'd announced her retirement, we took her to Caulfield and gave her an exhibition gallery. So yeah. the public say goodbye to her and, uh, you know, credit to the owners. Um, you know, they didn't want to squeeze the lemon too much. They were happy to, to retire her on that note. And, uh, that was a very fitting result for her to go out that day in front of a very big crowd at Randwick. Leon, hey, uh, Peter, um, do you know you're trading at Pakenham now? Uh, that is that a great success? Or, or Because we, uh, Sam and I have got a vested interest in Pakenham. Uh, a horse that we had an interest in called Tilly Buck Kid won the first Pakenham Cup one there, uh, run there on the new track. So there you go, something something you haven't done, old son. No, <laughs> both. I think it's a tremendous facility, Pakenham. It's still very much see. Um, you know, it's in the next sort of 10, 15, 20 years, it'll develop into one of the leading training centres in, in the country. 
uh, but it's still very much stages uh, at the moment, and it's still being grown and developed. And you know, there's not a lot of horses there, but it suited me and suited the way I like to train. And uh, you know, sort of secluded, out of town, plenty of fresh air, and plenty of room for development and to develop. Uh, new training facilities uh, that the industry are going to work toward uh, in the coming, uh, you know, years. So uh, I, I think it's a great scope to be a tremendous facility and it is a tremendous facility now uh, as it sits. So it can only improve as time goes on. Pete, uh, at the peak of your powers, uh, just so people get a, a lame, the average layman gets an understanding of just how big the empire was, uh, how many horses in work or how many horses generally did you have? How many staff? What was your turnover uh, weekly? Just how big was the Moody Racing Empire? Oh, we probably had upwards of 400-odd horses on our books, uh, you know, for probably five- or eight-year period there, Sam. We had 100 to 120 in full work at Caulfield. We probably had another 100-odd horses in pre-training. Um at, at various training centres around the state. And on top of that, we had a state five domiciled at Randwick in Sydney all the time as well. And uh, so we had a staffing of about 70, 75 people. Uh, you know, it was a big operation and, uh, you know, probably only equaled at the time or since by the likes of Chris Waller and Lindsay Park and uh, and Darren Weir when he's at the height of his powers and, and now probably... You know, the, the young stable, Kieran Maher and Dave Eustace, are probably getting up around that number. So it was a very big operation. Uh, you know, we used to train sort of anywhere between 100 and 220 winners each season. And, uh, you know, like I say, we, we enjoyed very good success at the top level. Uh, even though I never won one four that's considered the Melbourne Cups, the Cox Plate of the Golden Slipper, I think we must have won nearly most other stakes races on the program uh, the length and breadth of Australia. So maybe there's a little bit of unfinished business for me to to uh, try and rectify that, but uh, I certainly don't think my career will be a failure if I don't happen to do that. 56 Group 1, Speedy. You've got nothing to worry about there. That's a fantastic record. Yeah, well, I've, I've always had great support from a, a terrific group of owners. Uh, I've always been surrounded by terrific staff and, more importantly, had the had the very much loyal and loving backing of my family, which is which has made it easy and enjoyable along the way as well. Now, Pete, you're a lovely look. I don't want to be sound condescending, but you're a great bloke. You, the average Aussie, can relate to you. You've got some some common threads. Uh, you love a beer. You love a chat. But I can't for one moment because I know some of your habits. Your etiquette needs a lot of adjustment, a lot of improving upon. How did you go meeting the Queen? Did you? Were you in sync there, or did you make a fool of yourself? No, I was. Uh, I was actually in front of the game there because I uh, actually had a couple of nights before we won the race. Um, I had dinner with Mrs. Susan Piggott, the uh, wife of the great Lester Piggott, the jockey in the UK, and and her daughter Maureen and son or William Haggis, who we know is a very successful trainer on the world stage. And uh, I was seated next to Mrs. Piggott, and uh, she's a bit of a card. We had a good yarn. Uh, he took the piss out of me as much as I took it out of the palms, I've got to tell you. But on one side, <laughs> I said to her, uh, Mrs. Piggott, there's a chance I'm going to meet the Queen a bit later in the week. And just so I don't make a dick out of myself or slap her on the ass like Paul Keating did. And uh, 
get in a bit of trouble. Uh, you know, how do I go about it? And she said uh, she went went through a few things with me. But the one thing that always stuck in my mind is the first time you meet her, uh, you address her as Her Majesty. But then after that, your old mates, you've only got to call a mom after then. So, <laughs> uh, so I was invited to a, a few things, and, uh, but I, I never got to meet her before the races. But uh, no, we had a good yak after the race. And um, of uh, front and centre every day in the week, but it's hard not to be moved when you're a woman like that, and, and particularly a person that has such an unbelievable love of thoroughbred horse racing. Uh, you know, she really enjoys the racing. She loves it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you could just see that she had a genuine joy and and love of of being there at the races and the joy that my horse was able to give that day. Uh, it was, uh, you know, tremendous to be a part of that and to have a yarn to her about the horse. And uh, Luke Noel and I got to have a bit of a chat to her and where, us and where we were from and, and, and the horse. And, uh, you know, it was a very moving time and uh, something I'll remember for the rest of my days for sure. Well, Leon, well, no, no, you have met the Queen, Leon, didn't you? Uh, no, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting the Queen yet. Um, uh, no Detroit doubt. Play that game, 71. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Fitzroy, you haven't been not. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, at Fitzroy when they. No, no anyway, of course the Queen, not. The, the Queen wasn't at that one. Anyway, it's uh, been a great pleasure to have you on, uh, Peter Moody, and uh, good luck to you with your second career. And with that uh, horse coming from Ireland with you and uh, Jerry Ryan, we wish you well with that. And, of course, you've got some pretty handy ones there in any case with uh, uh, the Velvet King and Gatting and uh, uh, the intriguingly named uh, Glenn Fittick, which used to be my uh, drink of choice at one stage until I switched to Michelin. So you've got the ability in my stable. Yeah, no, boys, we've got a nice team coming together, but really looking forward to the arrival of Nicker Jack Cave over from Ireland. And, and Glenn Fittich, he's probably the pl flag bearer of the local group here at the moment. So hopefully we can uh, be a all-time player in the spring, but very much look forward to the autumn and spring of next year where our young stocks should come to the fore, hopefully. Thanks for your time, Peter. You're a gentleman. And yeah, great man, the great racing man, great Australian. See you, Pedro. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me as a part of it. This has been Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard and Sport and Life.